Amen. And God, that's not just a song, it's the reality of the ages that you, uh, you deserve our praise. Uh, you're worthy of our affection, our adoration, our very lives. Uh, everything that we see, everything that we are, everything that exists is from you and through you and to you. So you deserve the glory. And we ask that in this little bit of time that we have, that you'd increase our knowledge of you, that we might increase in our love for you, that our allegiance would be more squarely placed in your hands, that our obedience to your word would be um, our joy. And as we open your word together, would you graciously once more through your spirit open our eyes to the things that you want us to see. Thank you for your word that is living and active, that you have preserved for us throughout the ages. Thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus. Thank you, Spirit, that you dwell within us to give life to our mortal frames, and that you are the deposit that has been given to us, that we have a future inheritance that waits for us. And so despite what we feel, despite what we've experienced this week, you are faithful, you are good, you are gracious, you've been generous to us. We need you, and we ask that you'd work in this time now for the sake of your great name. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Um, I don't know how many of you know Old Faithful in Yellowstone, the geyser. So Old Faithful is named Old Faithful for how predictable it is, the way it shoots up out of the ground. And so we live in an age where um, the idea of being old and faithful really, really isn't all that appealing. Like, I think if we're honest, we're a little bit like, more like what was in Athens in Acts chapter 17, where people just spent their time just mining for everything that's new. Like, they wanted new thoughts, new things to give people, new ideas. So philosophers would opine about various new ideas and ways to see the world, and the gospel came on the scene, and it was a strange new thing. And so Paul had an opportunity to stand up in this place of sharing thoughts, the Areopagus, and but one of the peculiar parts about being a preacher is that there is like this commendation to be old faithful, to be predictable. And we don't like to be predictable. I don't like to be predictable, quite honestly. But one of the peculiar, most challenging things about being a preacher is I have to introduce you every single week to things that you have likely already heard. And one of the, the challenging parts about being a believer is to every single day when we open the Word of God, get acquainted again with things that we've already heard, things that we know that have been established to us through preaching, through walking with Jesus, studying His Word. And I just want to just kind of level the playing field for this sermon, like, I don't have anything new to give to you. <laughs> I have old good news, been passed down through the ages, but man, it can't be improved upon. You know, it's, yeah, we need to hear it. We do. Amen. Thank you, brother. Like, we need to hear it, right? And we're going to look this morning at this real simple, this, the two simple points from this text are remember the Word of God and follow the Word of God. It's not flashy, but man, it's imperative for life and for light in our life for the world that desperately needs to see that the Word of God is alive in us. And there's a reminder to us that in, in the fundamentals of remembering the Word of God, following the Word of God, is that you never graduate beyond the fundamentals of the faith. 
as a basketball player, having played in college, I can assure you I didn't forget the very first thing that I did when I started playing basketball, namely dribble and how to not travel every time you touch the ball. Like, you don't graduate from that. Actually, you have to get better at it. There's a way in this spiritual life, walking with Jesus, you don't graduate beyond the grace of God. You don't graduate beyond the Word of God or the discipline of being in the Scriptures for yourself day in and day out that you might grow. And so we're going to be in a fundamental place of just simply remembering the Word of God and following the Word of God. And so let's go to chapter 1. We're going to read uh, verses 12 uh, through 21. Ultimately, we'll start by reading verses 12 through 15. So verse 12, uh, this is God's Word to us. Peter says, Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think that it is right, as long as I'm in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. So in these three brief verses, you could probably circle. I have them circled in my Bible because they seem significant. Is that you have the word remind, remind you of in verse 12, to stir you up by way of reminder at the end of verse 13, and then the, the notion of recall in verse 15. So this really significant kind of emphasis that Peter gives, like a, you need to remember these things. Call them to mind. Remember them in such a way that they carry with you and that you, you live them out. The Christian life requires ongoing, intentional remembrance of God's Word. So that therefore, kind of points us back to what we talked about last week, these qualities of the, the growing Christian, that we're to be ones who, by way of our effort and diligence, supply to our faith, add to our faith, as it were, this work of the Spirit that we grow in virtue and in knowledge and in self-control and perseverance and godliness and brotherly affection and love and all these things, they adorn the work that God has done in us through faith in Jesus Christ alone. So we're not saved by our own work. We don't work for the grace of God, but we work by the grace of God to work out our salvation. That's what we talked about last week. And he says, therefore, I want you to be reminded of these qualities. Remember these things. You know them. You've been established in the truth. That's right? significant. Like, you know these things. You've been established in the truth, but you need to remember that which you know and that which you've been established in. That's the rhythm of the Christian life until we get to glory. There's certain things that we know we've been established in, and you know very well this week, if you've been walking with Jesus for any time, it's not like you're trying to mine something new and fresh every week. You're trying to remind yourself of things that you need to hear that you've heard a hundred times, a thousand times, right? That's the rhythm of the Christian life. And it's not flashy, but man, it's fundamental for life and for light in the Lord to display to this world that he makes a difference, right? But he says, I need to stir you up by way of reminder. So all of us at some point likely, there's probably a few in here that don't have any sort of alerts or alarm clocks at all in your life. I don't, you're some sort of unicorn if that's the case. Come see me, I'd like to hear your story. Your life might be a train wreck, but we can talk about that and just how you might use alerts to better your rhythm of life. But we all, like we respond to alarm clocks, right? Alarm clocks alert us to, hey, it's time to get up and function. You have a job to go to. You have things that need to be done. 
We have meetings on our calendar. We have alerts to tell us, oh, yeah, I need to go meet with this person or be in this place. And God's Word is like that reminder to kind of awaken us to what God says and what He says about us and what He calls us to do and to be in this world. It, it, awake, it quickens us to the voice of God because this is His Word to us. It awakens you and I to what we need to do, reminds us of the reality of who we are and who we are in Him. And one of the questions is good to ask is like, why is it important for us to be reminded? Like, why do we need to be reminded? I, fundamentally, like probably at its base, is that we are just prone to forget. Like, we are forgetful people. Psalm 103, verses 1 and 2, it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of His benefits. Don't forget His benefits. It's one of those commands you can look at and reasonably say, this wouldn't exist in Scripture were we not prone to forget. The command wouldn't be necessary if you and I just perpetually remembered everything that we heard. I think we know that pretty well. Like we, We're forgetful people. And being spiritually forgetful is particularly damaging to our faith, our courage, our security in the Lord in this life. Forgetting the words and promises of God Spiritual forgetfulness decreases our faith and courage and security. Maybe just one example of this. When you look at, at the end of the Gospel of Luke, um, the women who came to Jesus' empty tomb in Luke 24, verses 5 through 8. Listen to these words. When they came to the tomb, they saw these two angels appeared to them. They were frightened and bowed their faces. And the men, these angels, said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? So look at their emotions, like their condition. They were frightened. Their heads were discouraged. They were bowed to the ground. And they say, why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but has risen. And, and listen to this part. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise and they remembered his words. And I was thinking about this just yesterday. Like we, like we should have probably a thousand of those moments all the time, right? The, the picture would be something like, remember how he told you, Matt, not to be anxious for anything. And, and to pray with thanksgiving that his peace might come upon you. Peace that surpasses comprehension. Oh, and, and then I remembered his words. Like, you've had that experience. I'm sure of it as a believer. Like, you've been frightened. You've been downcast. And then, by the Spirit of God, He reminds you, like, hey, remember what I have said. He illumines, like, truth to our hearts, promises to our soul. And we're like, yes, I remember that God is faithful, even though my circumstances seem to say otherwise. I remember that I can pursue Him first and His righteousness and all these other things, namely even my food and my clothing. All those things will be added to me. I remember his words. And then I go. And so in the, notably in this story, they, they run and they begin to tell the good news that Jesus is alive. They go from frightened and downcast to courageous and usable in the hands of God through remembering his words, being reminded of the word of God. Frightened to faithful, downcast to hopeful, and it happens through remembering the word of God. And you can feel the urgency in Peter's voice. He's like, my life is almost over. This is interesting. At some level, he's been 
kind of it's been revealed to him by God that his, his death is near. He says, verse 14, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. So you, you kind of feel the urgency in his voice. My life is almost over, but I want you to rem- be reminded of these things. And when I go, I want you to be able to recall the things that I've given to you. Remember the word of God. And I would say this, when we're actively engaged in remembering the Word of God and the promises of God, it, it actively wars against like spiritual forgetfulness. It's antithetical to forgetfulness, to remember. And so whatever, whatever that looks like this week, take time to remember the promises of God. Take them with you. Keep them in front of you. Hide them in your heart that they might come up in moments of temptation. I don't know how many of you use Sorry, there's a piece of fuzz like floating around my nose. I'm not going crazy. Everybody's like, what's he doing up there? Sorry, squirrel. So, so um, how, many of you use, how many of you use instructions? Raise your hand. Like you're just like, hey, this thing comes with instructions. I'm using instructions. There'd probably be like, I'm sorry, bring them up one more time so I can see. Okay. I mean, it's, how many of you just like don't use instructions? Okay, okay, okay. I'd love to have some dialogue about that. It would be really, really fun to kind of hear the stories behind that. Um, we think about the Christian life. So the Christian life is not like a piece of furniture that you put together at one point in time via the instructions, and then you put the instructions away. So, and I think sometimes we can be tempted. We might not say it out loud this way, but we can act as if the deposits of previous moments and mornings and days um, the previous grace that we've been given through our time with God, like the previous, maybe a little bit, to use an Old Testament kind of illusion where we scoop up the Word of God, the provision for us, that somehow we can think that that previous moment is enough to carry us through perpetually. And so we just kind of put the instructions away, as it were, just drawing upon what we know, and that's not the pattern of the Christian life to draw upon an old commercial from, I think, probably the 90s. I did this last week with Ginsu Knives. I'm not sure what it is about the last couple of weeks. There's an ad about Fix-A-Dent denture cream. You might have seen this before. Fix-A-Dent and forget it. You just put it on and it stays. Like, it's good. That's not really the way the Christian life works. Like, you don't just apply the Word of God and then move away from it. As a permanent principle, it's just going to hold in your life. It holds, to be sure, eternally, but you and I have to continue to go back to it. And so an illustration is in Psalm 19, verses 7 through 11. It says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired than are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. So these, these verbs in verses 7 and 8 particularly, this reviving is like a, it's an active verb. It's an ongoing process of being revived. This revival of the soul is not just a one moment in time, but there's an ongoing work of the Word of God in the people of God to revive our hearts, to revive 
our souls, to make us wise in the moment, to rejoice our hearts, to enlighten our eyes. And our understanding, our understanding often is darkened, and we need God's commands to enlighten our eyes. I think we know that pretty well. And there's a whole lot that, of other stuff that could be said here. Remembrance is central to the work of preaching. Like Timothy is commended by Paul, like remind the people of God of these things. Timothy himself, like notably in 2 Timothy, some people would say that Timothy was having difficulty in the pastoral ministry, like so much that he was just maybe going to leave the ministry, like it was a difficult charge for him to fulfill. And one of the things that, that Paul writes to Timothy, he says, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. If there's something fundamental to the faith, it would be that statement. Hey, just remember that Jesus is alive. Remember that Jesus is alive. You see that in 1 Corinthians 15 too, right? Because Jesus is alive, all our labor and toil isn't in vain when it's in him. Remember that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Just three practical words I'll kind of put up here. If in remembering the word of God, um, I think we'll have them up here, is meditation, memorization, and then proclamation. So we think about meditation. This is a word that's used a ton. If you look at Psalm 119, if you've never read Psalm 119, I've said this many times before in preaching, spend time this week reading Psalm 119. It's 170 plus verses. It's all about the Word of God. His testimonies, His precepts, His laws, His rules, all synonymous with His words, what they do in us, what they create in us, what we see in them, all these things so rich. I was reading it this morning, and I was, I was, I've read it so many times and was affected by one particular verse, just a good reminder, like even as we go back to something we've read a hundred times, you know, that God is going to be gracious to work even through what we read. I read verse 132, and I was just kind of brought to tears in the midst of just trying to finish preparing this morning. It says this, it says, turn, turn to me, this is the psalmist writing as if speaking to God, turn to me and be gracious to me as is your way with those who love your name. I was like, praise God. Like, it is God's way to turn and be gracious to the people who love his name. That's good, that's good news. That's good news for the weary soul, right? And there's, just, there's promises that we find in the word of God that, we, that articulate things that we just don't have words for or that we need to hear freshly again. So if you need some stimulation for your, your time in the word, then go to Psalm 119. Uh, it'll be a great encouragement to you. But meditate. Let it tumble around. This is not Eastern meditation. Emptying your mind. It's filling your mind with the truth of God. Letting it tumble around. Keeping it before you. Thinking about it often. Memorization. Psalm 119.11. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And what I mean by proclamation is namely through prayer. You're praying back the word of God as you pray. Thinking on God's promises as you pray. It's just another source of remembrance for us. So remember the word of God, and then secondly, follow the word of God. I want you to go to the book of Matthew as we try to finish off this section. We're going to read this section of Matthew before we read the, the next part in Second Peter. <clears throat> Excuse me. In Matthew chapter 17, and you'll see why in just a second. We'll have this up on the TVs as well, but... Feel free to grab a Bible in front of you. I'd encourage you to have it in front of you if you can. Matthew 17, uh, verses 1 through 8. I'll give you a quick second. It goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew's the first book in the New Testament. 
Matthew 17, 1 through 8. It says this. It says, And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good that we are here. If you wish, I'll make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. So take note of the fact in verse 1, Jesus is with Peter, James, and John. Peter is the same author of the book that we are studying right now, one of Jesus' 12 disciples. So Peter was here, this very real moment where Jesus was transfigured. There's this foreshadowing of the glory that will be Jesus's when he, he returns. It's kind of pushed down into human time and space, and Peter is there watching the whole thing, hearing the voice of God. So pan forward to 2 Peter chapter 1. Let's go there together. And you'll see how these connect in verse 16. That's what Peter says. He says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And there's a connection. He's referring back to this experience, this moment. And so in verse 19, he says something really, really substantial. He says, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, this comparative language, to which you will do well to pay attention to as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And there's a whole lot in this section that could be talked about. I'm just going to briefly kind of summarize it as we need to follow the Word of God. And here's the essence of what I want to communicate. Peter is saying here, he's referring back to that story in the Gospels where he and James and John were with Jesus. Jesus was transformed, his clothing, his face. God the Father speaks from heaven. This is an incredible moment. This is like the culmination of human experience. Like you, this would be like a non-starter for other people like in a dinner conversation. A little bit like there's a comedian that talks about like if you were Neil Armstrong, you walked on the moon, you'd just be waiting for like to drop the trump card in any conversation. Like, hey, I walked on the moon. Nobody could top that, really. And this is a little bit like that. There's really, I mean, this, uh, the, it's the, the tip of the top of the human experience. I was with Jesus. He was transformed in glory before my eyes. And I heard God spoke, speak from heaven. What an experience. What grace. What revelation. He says, as sure as I was standing there that day, I want you to know this. 
that I am even more sure about the Word of God. Now, family, this is so substantial. I have more fully confirmed. It was, it's confirmed to be sure that I was standing there and Jesus was transformed. I heard God speak from heaven, but you need to understand I have the Word of God made more sure to me than even that very real human experience. And you would do well to pay attention to that. There's a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises. The Word of God is more sure, more fully confirmed than the personal experience of seeing the glory of Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration. Maybe the application is just simply follow the Word of God more than any personal experience. Desire the Word of God more than any feeling from or experience with God. We want to have grace from God. We want to experience His nearness, right? We, it's okay to desire those things. But our reliance should be, our, follow, our fellowship should be to the Word of God. National experience or subjective impressions. And I, I would just say this really, really practically as a pastor to you as a family, is we have to be very careful when we make statements like, God told me to do such and such. I've heard from God to do such and such. Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't speak to his people still, but I will say this very plainly. Is it your impression subjectively and the words that you may feel that you get from God are always subject to the word of God every time? That will never change. This is one of many places that inform us of that. So you always have to have your personal experience and subjective impressions filtered through the authority of the Word of God. I have this Word more fully confirmed than what I feel, or what I see, what I think I know. The Word of God is the filter for my life and my experience and my thoughts. And so please be very careful with the way in which you portray the notion that God told you certain things. God's word is not interpreted through or subject to your experience or impressions. Your personal experience and subjective impressions must be interpreted through and subject to his word. I would say this is a side note. I think a lot of times what can happen is if we portray that we've heard clearly from God on something that isn't in the scriptures, it can insulate us from counsel from other people, even inadvertently. Sometimes it's overtly. If we say God has told me to do something that isn't overtly in the Word of God, then, then what's a person to do? Like, well, I, I guess I can't argue with you that you heard from God. That's why it's so important to be careful with subjective impressions as to what God wants you to do when it's not black and white in Scripture. This is what's more fully confirmed. Trust in this. Look to this. This is God's word for us, for his people, and it will always be that way. Follow the word of God, pay attention to the word, and Peter says, until the end. Until the end. Revelation twenty two sixteen. Jesus is called the, the bright morning star. So when you look back at this section, at the end of verse 19, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you would do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. One of the pastors at the conference over the weekend, just yesterday, Eric Bancroft, uh, he made a statement actually speaking on this text. I didn't know he was going to be preaching on this. 
but he, uh, he made this statement, just real simply, that the word of God is sufficient until Jesus returns. It will be sufficient for life, for godliness. It is our authority until Jesus returns. Until the morning star rises, the day dawns of his return, when he's with us face to face and we're with him. On that day, the dwelling place of God will be with man. The former things of pain, grief, and sorrow, and sin will pass away and give way to the glorious freedom that we now know in part, we'll know in full. Until that day, the word of God is sufficient to lead us, to guide us, to instruct us, to make us adequate and equipped for every good work. Follow the word of God. Follow the word of God. Follow the word and pay attention to the word because it is God's word. Verse 20 and 21, I'll finish with this. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. We did a message in our Real Talk series about the trustworthiness of the Bible. I don't have time to deal with prophecy and the trustworthiness of Scripture But the essence of what Peter is saying is that the words of this book are not invented by man. They're not the idea of human intellect or invention or individual's interpretation. This is divine revelation. In a world that loves to speak about my truth and your truth, there really is no such thing. There's one source of truth that's found in the Word of God. That's what the Bible teaches to us. The origin and authority of the Scripture is found in God and not in man. You see in 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. The Scripture was penned by men who were carried along, moved by the Spirit like the wind and the sail of their hearts and their minds and their hands to guide Them as men, the writings are not detached from their personality or their context. They weren't robots, but every movement of the pen was guided by the hand of God to preserve and protect and push forward his word to his people and to the world. As Bible-believing Christians, we lift up, we proclaim, and we uphold the Bible as inspired, enduring, and errant. It's our supreme authority for faith and life. And when we think about this picture of light and darkness, it's a, it's a perpetual picture and metaphor in the Bible. And so in the New Testament, you get this picture that you and I, apart from Jesus, we used to be darkness. Like we didn't just, we weren't just in the darkness. So we were defined by darkness. But now we're light in the Lord, in Jesus. Through faith in him, we become light. We're transferred from the, the kingdom of of darkness to the kingdom of light. So we're to walk as children of light. That picture is everywhere. Cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. It's everywhere. And one of the things that we should take courage in is that the word of God is ample light for the people of God to look like Jesus in this life. And if you're apart from Christ this morning, you've never come to faith, you're not a Christian, Let me just encourage you this morning that there's enough light for you to see that you can move out of darkness and be forgiven and have life in his name. That you would move beyond a place of self-rule and allow the God of the universe to rule over you. Let me share this story as I close off. In World War II, there were six fighter pilots that were on a, a mission. And 
they obviously took off from an aircraft carrier, and as they're on their mission, uh, the aircraft carrier was told to go into blackout mode. So no lights, no communication from the aircraft carrier was allowed because the submarines in the water next to the aircraft carrier in the area. So when these six fighter pilots got done with their mission, they radioed back to the aircraft carrier asking for light because they didn't know where to land. And so the, the first three, really the only three that communicate with the aircraft carrier, the first two called and said, hey, we need some light to be able to land. And the radio announcer, the person working on the radio said, we can't give you light because we've been ordered to black out. And the third, same call, can you give us just one light? And same message, we can't give you any light because we've been ordered to black out. And then that last, that third one, they were ordered actually to cut any contact with the fighter pilots. It's reported that all six crashed in the dark Atlantic like that night. And when I think about that picture, you know, for the, the good news of the Christian life is that we, like the people who walk in darkness, have, have seen a great light. We have sufficient light to find life and rescue. And when you call upon the name of Jesus, you will be saved. You will be rescued from your darkness, from walking in darkness and have the light of life. The weary, broken people of the land have had a path of life and light provided to them. And as the people of God, rescued by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone, like through the word of God in our lives, like we have sufficient light to please God with our lives, to follow him fully and joyfully and completely. And my simple call to us as believers is just remember, remember the word of God and follow the word of God. Make it your pattern to remember the word of God and follow what it says. And in that simple pattern of life, there will be sufficient revelation from God to give us life and to give us light. And in fact, we depend on it to do just that. So let's pray. God, I want, I want to thank you for your word that is a, a lamp unto our feet, it's a light unto our path, and it's living and active, and it truly is our authority uh, for life and for godliness. And grateful that uh, your word also accomplishes the purposes for which you send it out, that it doesn't return void. Um, so even this morning, in my inadequacy, to preach this word, your divine revelation. Um, you are sufficient. Spirit of God, you are sufficient to bring it to bear on our lives, to make us more like Christ, to motivate us to action. And, and I pray that we would be people who simply yet profoundly live lives given to the remembrance of your word and the obedient following of your word as we see you commend us to live particular ways and obey certain commands that we'd find our delight to be increased in those things. Would you crush uh, competitors under your feet that we'd be those who wholeheartedly with single-minded devotion follow Jesus and not the things in this world or the ways of this world. Thank you for your word. Uh, thank you for your grace to us through Jesus. And it's in his name I pray. Amen.